Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest for this special Friday bonus episode is Lauren Lee Smith, an actress and producer you've seen in films like Trick or Treat, cinema novels, and How to Plan an Orgy in a Small Town, and on TV in The L Word, CSI, The Listener, and This Life. You'll see her in December in Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water, and she stars in Frankie Drake Mysteries, premiering on the CBC this coming Monday, November 6th at 9pm. Lauren chose Requiem for a Dream, Darren Aronofsky's harrowing 2000 drama, starring Ellen Burstyn, Jared Leto, Jennifer Connelly, and Marlon Wayans descending into a nightmare of addiction. Flexing his muscles after the no-budget breakout of Pi, Aronofsky turned Hubert Selby Jr.'s novel into something that's kind of a morality tale and kind of an adrenalized rollercoaster ride straight into hell, relentlessly following its characters into misery and abandon. You know, for fun. But it's too well-crafted to be dismissed as exploitation, which I remember several critics trying to do at TIFF that year. It's art, plain and simple. This is someone else's movie. Uh, Requiem for a Dream was a game-changer for me. I was 20 years old when I saw this film. I had been acting for two years, and I watched this film, and it's the first first film experience I ever had that gave me a physical reaction. Okay. I had like, it gave me, it, 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 yeah, it just blew my mind in every way, shape and form. The acting, the cinematography, um, the content. Um, I just, I couldn't wrap my head around how much this film like physically affected me. And it made me take a long, hard look at sort of my career and where I was and what I was doing at that time and um, and it made me it sort of propelled me to push myself and sort of from that moment forward from watching that film I was like I want to do things that challenge me that push boundaries that are darker and edgier and and morbid um, because (laughs) because up until that point I had very much played sort of the girl next door very sweet lovely characters and I I, you know I I think I'm a pretty sort of down-to-earth nice girl and I I really wanted to sort of break free and go outside myself and delve into the real world of acting and into character work and for me um, a film like this and, and sort of going into the the morbid dark world of of addiction mm. um it yeah it just opened my eyes up to sort of a whole a whole new new world of yeah. cinema <laughs> had you had you seen Aronofsky's previous had you seen Pi before I hadn't okay. no I watched Pi after this was sort of really my first introduction to to Darren Aronofsky and and to this day he's still one of my my favorites I haven't seen Mother yet which I'm Dying to see, is yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. See in the theater if you get the chance. It's, I would love to. It's very, yeah. It's an enveloping. I mean, I saw it at I guess nine a.m. at the, okay. the tip press screening, but yeah. it's like being, it's like being shaken for two right. straight hours. And when you figure out what it's doing, it's right. just even better. Okay. Like, yeah, Amazing. I, really, I, I he's one of the filmmakers that I really I love him most when he is just going all out. Yes. He's, he's less interesting to me in. Sort of working man's mode, right. I guess, like the wrestler or something. The like wrestler, that, but... absolutely, I agree. When you sort of the, 
when you just sort of go with the imagery and yeah. go with the, yeah I agree yeah and and requiem for a dream is I mean I, I my initial response to hearing someone say oh, this inspired me to try more things is like like what I mean, that, <laughs> it, it, it's about suffering but it's such profound yeah the message is so all of it, I mean almost every one of his films ends in tragedy yes, um, yes. they race towards oblivion yes. in, in a in a way that feels great yeah. you know while you're in it um you know the fountain the greatest thing that can happen is that you jackman can stop existing that's yes. his goal yes. in the end uh and and this film does seem like a mission statement of grabbing and shaking and and absolutely and waiting for the destruction that we just that train is coming from the first yeah. frames yeah yeah and you were 20 i was in my 30s when i, I saw it and I was walking I back and forth i know i just but it, for exactly those reasons for what you're saying i it like it hit me like a train it was just like how can something make me feel this way and how can I as an actor be able to do that to someone else like how can I be a little part of of creating a a film or you know television series or a play whatever it is how can I grab someone and rip their guts out as well and, and make them have a physical and emotional Reaction with with a performance Um, for the listener. Huge smile, just (laughs) grinning ear to ear. This is exhilarating. I love it. I love people responding to to art like this. Yeah, yeah. But it it is such a well. Which character did you identify with the most? Was there was there a hook that grabbed you? Well, I mean, Ellen Burstyn just like tore me apart, and that I still think it's one of the most insane performances. (laughs) And when I watched the making of. I just that that sort of time lapse that they did of, of her cleaning the place, like it still gives me goosebumps. <laughs> it still gives me shivers, and sort of that process and how they just let her go, for I don't you know however long they could. Um, but that that performance to me will always be one of the most profound performances I've ever I've ever had the pleasure of watching. Yeah, yeah. it is something. And people, I I remember. At the screening I saw, which would have been just before, I guess, before TIFF, because yeah. it played, um, people were saying, oh, I didn't know Ellen Burstyn could do that. It's like, are you You don't know who Ellen Burstyn is. Right. Because she's this, it, it's, a, it's a revelatory performance only because she'd sort of been away for a while, for right? A while, so she's come right. screaming back in this. And this, into this performance, this right? Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, one of those things where I'm sure if they had nominated her for supporting instead of lead, she probably would have won well, the Oscar. I, know, I agree. It's yeah. that unquantifiable performance. She is the centerpiece of the film, but yeah. doesn't have enough screen time. And yeah, just it's it's electrifying to see people go all out yeah. for this, and it tells me that they trust Aronofsky. That's right. Which goes through all of it. I mean, every subsequent movie, he's got people just go under the mattresses yeah. for him, and he'll do whatever. They will do whatever, right? Yeah. I know it's true. And a funny little backstory Please. with um, with Requiem for a Dream. When I was first asked which film yesterday to mm. pick, my second choice was going to be the film that uh, initiated me wanting to act in general, okay. which was Labyrinth. When I oh, was yeah. eight years old. Also, Jennifer Connelly. Yeah. And that's the film that I watched. Uh, and I was like, I, I was looking at the television. I looked to my mom and I'm like, I want to go in this world. Right. I want to be a part of this world. And my mom was like, well, you want to be part of Jim Henson's world with the, the puppets? And I'm like, I don't know what I want, but I want to do that. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, going and watching Jennifer Connelly and, you know, her being sort of my very, very first inspiration David Bowie as well sure, um, and sure. then at 20 watching her do this 
blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. It was weird. Connolly was, I think there was that window where she was on the verge of being forgotten. Right. Just for, for about a minute, right yeah. around the hot spot. Yeah. So she was sort of regarded as a teen actress trying to become legitimate. Right. And then back to back, there was this Dark City. and Well, yes. Dark City came first. Yes. Then yeah. Requiem for a Dream. And then A Beautiful Mind. And everybody just shut okay. up about okay. it. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. She's amazing. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, you know, she's worked... By this, by this point in her career, she worked with Argento and, and Henson and... Um, and and done whatever Dark City required of her because yeah. it wasn't the most challenging yeah. role, I suspect. Yeah. But you can feel it when an actor is seizing that moment. Yes. It, she does have a kind of a go-for-broke, all-or-nothing thing. Yeah. And I still have issues with the degradation, with the way that it, the women suffer differently than the men in this mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's... It's gendered because it's appropriately gendered, if that doesn't sound wrong. Like they, it, it is, this is yeah. The, this is the path that's set out for them, yeah. not just by the drama, but by the concept of addiction and by addiction. where people go. And, exactly, yeah. yeah, exactly. No, it, it was it, it, it opened my eyes to, to so many things and so many um, that, you know, I just hadn't... You know, I've, I've done literally two drugs in my life. One of them was by accident. Okay. <laughs> so, again, like, this to me was like I had no concept of of addiction or what it could do to you or, or how it, it manifests. And, um, yeah, it just sort of, it, it, it made me curious in a sense of wanting to be able to do research and have an excuse to portray the, the the struggles that these characters have to go through and I was really sort of yearning to get to, to delve into sort of a darker world in an artistic level right. not on a personal level that's the actor's empathy right like yeah. you want to know about it I, I myself have I've tried pot didn't enjoy it right uh, and knew people when I was in my early 20s who were doing too much coke and it's okay. just like okay not exactly same with me I was like nope yeah. <laughs> this is not and there's you know this, this endless moralizing coming from everyone who uh, just sees them as an absolute evil I'm sure there are people who self-medicate I'm sure there are people who yeah. need this stuff and it does seem to people seem to enjoy them sometimes right. But then you get this movie, which it basically, I think you should strap down 16-year-olds and yeah, just show them right? every... Yes. Know, no, this is probably more likely. This is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It should be required viewing in high schools. <laughs> yeah. And coming right on the heels of Magnolia, too. Someone else mm-hmm. making an incredibly intense cinematic experience. There was yeah. that There was that moment in, in 99 and 2000 when just everything went all out for yeah. about six months. It was so amazing. Yeah. It was such an amazing time for film. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you're... You know, just coming out of your teens and watching yeah. all of these movies, I mean, just that laundry list, you know, Three Kings and Fight Club and Being John Malkovich yeah. and Magnolia and this, and I know I'm forgetting one major one, but there was that, well, for me it was Rushmore, but, but Rushmore, just yeah. the sense that things were about to change and then it, the wave broke and everything got really conventional for yeah. a little while. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it was a while before now, Aronofsky made another movie as daring. Right. And, uh, yeah, so what happens when you see this film, you just come out of it and you're... Presumably, did you go right back? Did you want to see it again? I did. I watched it. I immediately watched it again, and then I watched the making of, and um, and honestly, I think I, I called my agent like immediately after. I'm like, I'm dyeing my hair dark. I'm doing whatever I can to <laughs> to to take away this girl next door stigma. I, I want to do. I want to. I want to find these sort of darker. The, the 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 darker characters, the darker stories. I wanna I wanna challenge myself and and learn about yeah all of these sort of 
more the, the morbidity mm-hmm. of life. Um, and so, yeah, that sort of became my mission for, for the next few years. I'm trying to do the math in my head. So Lie With Me would have been like the next year, Lie right? Lie With Which Me was very close after that, yeah. And, yeah. and that was my very first film experience. Um, and in a sense, I, I am so grateful because going with exactly what I was just saying, like it, it I had to, um, there were so many, like I had to sort of physically bear myself, emotionally, mentally, um, strip myself down, like, in every aspect. And it was so terrifying and so freeing. And it really sort of opened up the sort of floodgates for me in a sense of, like, realizing, okay, you can do something. And and you sort of start to crave that feeling that, like, I'm terrified to do this, but I want to do this. So you're chasing a high. Basically. In a sense, there yeah. you go. Yeah, well, full I, circle. I, yeah. I think that I think that happens with a lot of people who who push into uh, art. I mean, Aronofsky talked about it on the on the Black Swan interviews that mm-hmm. it's it's about the high of the perfect performance. It's right. about the peak, and I I always find it interesting when people make movies about addiction that are strictly literal, mm-hmm. physical, you know, drug addiction, um, you know, something like Bigger Than Life, yeah. whatever it is you're doing, where you can simply spend two years of your life feverishly making this thing, which yeah. is ultimately about someone feverishly doing something. Yeah. And it's just this weird barrier, like the blood-brain barrier. The yeah. filmmaker doesn't quite seem to know that they're making a film about their own need to About create. their, right, yeah. But it's a yeah. fascinating process. And, you know, more often than not with a film, nobody dies. It, it's, yeah. it, you don't, su- you suffer differently. Yeah. But there is so much energy invested into it. Yeah. And so much, um... I mean, so much personal commitment and time and people lose relationships, people lose friendships, all yeah. this stuff that happens. And, and it's all in this movie. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just glad that Aronofsky, 20 years later, is still happy and working and exactly. working with the same people, yes. apparently, that like him. Yes. Um, yeah. It's, it's his art. And that's, yeah. 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 But you feel, watching the movie, like, you feel like the film itself is going to lose its mind at any moment. It yeah. Just, it's so, um, it's so jittery and, and nervous and... I mean, you, my my line at the time was, yes, some of the characters do heroin, but the movie is on speed along it's with Burstyn. Completely, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's the first film that I had had seen too, using those jump cuts, mm. um, and and just between the editing and the cinematography, I I never seen anything like that. Yeah. Um, which I think really added to sort of that feeling, sitting on the edge of your seat and sort of vibrating along with them. You know, this crazy this crazy energy. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. There, there's that little wave of drug films in the '90s too that came out with um, uh, *Fear and Loathing in Las yeah. Vegas*, or the attempt to show what that Basketball is. Basketball Diaries. Basketball Diaries. Yeah. yeah, and there's another one that I always forget. Uh, *Blow* came right around the corner. Oh, okay, with, okay. With Depp and, and Penelope Cruz yeah. like the next year after this, and this is the only one where I feared for the filmmaker. If right. that makes sense, yeah. and the actors, it's just you don't. You get the sense that I use the phrase "high wire act" a lot in yeah. this podcast. It turns out because that's okay. what I respond to. But you really get the sense that the making of this movie feels dangerous. Right. And it's not just the Jared Leto peacocking thing. Yeah. It's the environment that he creates. You know, when I see a Saw movie, I worry that someone on the set is going to get hepatitis. Some sort of, right. They're just, right. they're ugly and grotty. And, and <laughs> yes. this one, this one even more so. Yeah. It just You feel like you're wallowing in everybody's adrenaline right. sweat. And, yes, and very much so. That is so true. That is so true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're telling me this made you want to 
do things harder, and I'm just like, oh, please be careful. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. I know it's you seem fine now. Yeah, no, it really, truly, I, it, it, it was completely just in a sense of wanting to experience a new type of acting that I hadn't done before. You know, everything was sort of very surfacey. I think up until that point for mm-hmm. me, and I wanted to dig a lot deeper and um, and and find characters that were very, very, very far from who I am, and um, and and who made choices that were very, very, very different from any kind of choice that I would make. Um, so that's what I mean in that sense. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty happy person, as you can see. I'm glad to see it. I know. Um, but yeah, and that does sort of bring us to the, to the final question, which you more or less already addressed, which is what of the film have you borrowed or stolen or absorbed? But I guess how does it factor into the work you're currently doing now? Because there's The Shape of Water in December and yeah. Frankie Drake Mysteries on CBC now. Yeah. That's the plug. Yeah. Uh, I hate when I do that. <laughs> um, but how does it follow through? Um, I do. I think it follows through in a sense that it, it, it from from this point forward, Requiem for a Dream forward, um, there always has to be, for me, something that challenges me, where I didn't really have that the first couple of years of my career. It's not how I really looked at acting. I didn't, I don't really know how I looked at acting. I guess it's sort of just take as, as, it, as it comes, and this is fun, and, but, but it, yeah, like, I just, for me, there has to be some kind of obstacle, and there has to be something that, that challenges me and helps me go outside of myself, whatever that is. It doesn't necessarily have to be dark or morbid, right. but it has to, to incorporate me sort of going outside of, of myself and, and who I am um, for it to be creative, fulfill, creatively fulfilling for me. Have you, um, have you chased a project like this? Has there been something that came your way that you... Like Requiem for a Dream that I have chased, definitely. There was um, a project that I I ended up getting to do called Helen, um, which uh, with Ashley Judd a few years ago that was um, about mental illness. That was a very, very heavy movie. And uh, it also dealt to a certain degree with addiction. And my character was this very fragile, very broken um, character. And... I really wanted to play that role. <laughs> I really, really wanted to play that role. Um, so there was that. But I mean, there's been many occasions where I, I've, I've tried. What, I, I auditioned for the wrestler. Oh really? Yeah, I auditioned for the wrestler um, for the the role of his daughter, um, which went to Evan Rachel Wood, mm-hmm. who was amazing. Um, but yeah, there's been a lot of a lot of roles that I've chased. A lot of those sort of morbid, dark, drug-addicted, sex-addicted, whatever-addicted roles that um, that I've wanted to play for whatever reason or another. But I feel like, you know, not to sound too cliche here, everything happens for a reason, and I think the roles that I did get to play, like in, in Helen and Fly With Me, I think those were sort of just meant to be for whatever reason. Yeah. No, you'll get to play your big addict role. Right, Just, one day. Yeah, you come around again and you come at it from the bursting side. I don't know how to be encouraging on this. It's so strange. It it's feels strange like a I know, right? It's true. Yeah. My thanks to Lauren Lee Smith, whose new series, Frankie Drake Mysteries, premieres on CBC this Monday, November 6th at 9 p.m. You'll also see her in theaters opposite Michael Shannon in Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water. I think it opens December 8th. You can find Lauren on Twitter at L underscore L underscore S. 
And you can find Requiem for a Dream on Blu-ray and DVD from Lionsgate in the U.S. and Entertainment One in Canada. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. Oh, make sure you watch the director's cut. Otherwise, what's the point? As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever, that would be greatly appreciated. And don't do drugs. Thanks for listening.